Hello, and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Keith Bowman, Equity Analyst at Interactive Investor, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Hunter, our Head of Markets, and Rebecca O'Keefe, our Head of Investment. They will be talking us through international shares and how much risk an investor should take. Turning to you, Richard, why consider investing in international shares? Well, I think the answer goes back to the fact that we're very much globalised now. We go all the way back to 1926, the engineer and inventor, uh, Nicholas Tesla, yes, indeed, that Tesla, um, said that through television and telephony, we shall see and hear one another as perfectly as though we were face to face, despite intervening distances of thousands of miles. And he then went on to say something particularly contentious at the time, that a man would be able to carry a telephone in his vest pocket. This was obviously nearly 100 years ago. Very thought that that was miles away. And it's just fast forwarding a bit to 1964, Canadian professor Marshall McLuhan, he was the guy who coined the term global village. And and that's, of course, what it's all about at the moment. There's some argument that um, investors in the UK didn't get the memo. The fact that uh, we've got this thing called home bias where you tend to invest locally potentially because you understand the companies in the UK rather than more and in fact there was a recent survey by Charles Schwab suggesting that um, about three or four investors only invest at home only about seven percent of investors intend to make any sort of significant purchases uh, in the state and this of course is despite the fact that the UK market only accounts for around six percent of the global market whereas the US for example 54 percent so these are all interesting reasons to start to considering international investing. Again, if you think about the top brands globally, and indeed that translates to the UK, there was another recent survey looking at the top 10 brands in the world, uh, and they were the obvious ones that you'd probably expect, the likes of Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, etc. And only two in that uh, top 10 coming from China in the form of Tencent and Alibaba. But the fact of the matter is, even on our own high street or our own virtual high street, there are now very much uh, global presences. And so you need to be bearing that in, in mind as an investor, because obviously we often hear about the fact that diversification is particularly important, but that doesn't just relate to sectors, that obviously relates to uh, geographies as well. And if you look over the last five years, um, at the way the S&P 500 in the States has performed, um, it's outdone the FTSE 100 in the UK by a factor of around seven. What are some of the differences from UK shares? Well, in the good old days, one of the reasons that um, investors might be put off investing in US stocks, for example, uh, were the actual costs in terms of commission. That's certainly no longer the case, but there are some notable differences if you're looking at the US market. Dividend yields, for example, tend to be a, a lot lower. A typical blue chip American company might yield somewhere between 1% and 2% in terms of the dividend. If you look at the FTSE 100, for example, in the UK, the average average dividend yield is comfortably uh, in excess uh, of 4%. So that's something to bear in mind. Another thing to bear in mind is um, that US prices, stock prices, are what they call heavier in many examples. So you might have a stock in the UK that costs £2.50 to buy, but Netflix, for example, they're currently standing at around 300 bucks. Um, around 200 bucks for the likes of uh, Apple and Microsoft. So 
whilst the share price itself isn't necessarily that important, it's the fact of the matter is that if you were going to invest one thousand pounds in Netflix, for example, you'd or one thousand dollars even, you'd, you'd end up buying three shares. So it has been um, because of the nature of the US market that has been something that's tended to put investors off in the past. Anything else to bear in mind? Well. Currency is certainly a factor. Obviously, you need to know uh, the country in which you're investing. We all know about the current pressure uh, on sterling around the Brexit negotiations and so on. So that currency will need to be translated uh, back into sterling at some point. Um, so that's some, something else to, to bear in mind. Um, and then depending on where you're looking internationally, that there may be other things to consider. In China, for example, although they've recent, recently opened up some doors, that has basically been uh, a market which only, in terms of foreign investors, uh, could only be accessed by professionals rather than retail investors. As I say, that may change over the coming years, but it's one thing to bear in mind. That's quite apart from the fact, if you're looking at a country with political turbulence, such as Turkey or Argentina at the moment, uh, that may be enough for you to just to avoid that area entirely. Um, and also, of course, we've got very strong governance um, and regulatory um, filings and positionings in the UK and the US. That's not, not always the case in some of the developing markets. So you, you very much need to know what you're investing in as well as the backdrop of where you're investing in. So how would an investor go about investing internationally? Certainly international investing through interactive investor could not be simpler. Um, you've got the ability to trade on 17 global exchanges and even hold up to nine different currencies uh, in your trading account. So the actual trading part or the investing part of this equation is very much straightforward. If you're not quite ready yet to dive into direct equity investing, there are a number of other ways to access foreign markets. You could, for example, find a fund which might be investing in a specific sector over a number of countries or indeed you could invest in a fund whereby you're investing in, in just one country and there's there's plenty of those kind of funds out there another one uh, you might want to consider is an exchange traded fund this is basically a basket whereby you could invest in an index or a sector or a geography and get your exposure that way in either of those examples fund examples of course the beauty of that is that you're not having all your eggs in one basket um, certainly an ETF is simply a tracker, whereas a managed fund, you're letting the fund manager take the concern and the worry and the investment decisions on your behalf, and obviously you're then spreading your risk. And I guess the other way to international investing, without you potentially even knowing it, is investing in the FTSE 100 itself in terms of those individual companies. It's estimated that around 70% of um, earnings in the FTSE 100 come from overseas. So if you think, quite apart from the obvious ones like the oil majors, BP and Shell, if you think about the likes of HSBC or Standard chartered or prudential these have all got large overseas presences so indirectly you're actually taking part in some of that global market as well thanks a lot for that Richard so Rebecca how much risk should you take with your investments there is absolutely no doubt that risk is highly subjective and it largely comes down to your own risk profile and whether your investments allow you to sleep at night it can be very difficult to contemplate the idea that your investments may fall in value, but you do genuinely need to take some risk to improve your financial future. And the reality is that most investors take too little risk rather than too much. One major factor to consider is your investment horizon. That is how much time your money has to work for you. 
and it is important to recognise that this could well be much longer than you think. The general rule of thumb is that you shouldn't invest in the market until you have at least five years before you need to access the money, but actually most people have 30, 40 or even 50 years to invest. Age 60, most investors were previously contemplating the imminent purchase of an annuity and therefore had a relatively short investment horizon. But pensions freedoms have changed the way we approach retirement and there is no longer the same hard stop about your chosen retirement date, which means the way we should approach investment age 60 is different. If you're in good health, you potentially have an investment horizon of 30 years or more left. And while you might want to consider when to take your tax-free cash, the rest of your pension pot can continue to work hard for you. So don't necessarily ignore higher risk options and appreciate that your investment horizon may be a lot longer than you think. How dangerous is cash to your long-term wealth? With cash currently earning next to nothing at sort of current interest rates, your spending power is reducing each year in real terms. The simple fact is that interest rates are just not keeping up with inflation. Taking this to the extreme, if inflation was running at 2% per annum and you are sitting on cash earning no interest, £1,000 now will only be worth £545 in 30 years' time. So this is something that you really need to consider. Quite often investors are told not to invest if they can't bear the thought of losing money. But the reality is that this calculation shows that you're far more likely to lose money if you aren't investing. Of course, investing does involve ups and downs and risks. If you don't need the money in the short or medium term, then not taking any risk is likely to be far more detrimental to your long-term wealth than taking the plunge. If you're investing via your pension, it's even more essential to embrace the opportunities when they arise. For example, the majority of ISA money is invested in cash, and it's absolutely fine if you actually need that money and you have a requirement for cash at some point in the near future. But if you don't, then you might want to think about whether shares, funds or trusts could be a better option. The majority of junior ISA money is also invested in cash. And given that any money in a junior ISA is locked away until your kids reach the age of 18, this does seem to be an inefficient way of saving for your kids' future, though I genuinely get the idea that potentially losing money when it comes to your kids' investment can be difficult. Another thing to think about is if you're in your 20s and 30s and have recently just joined a pension scheme, you might well find yourself being sort of in a default scheme, which could be a medium risk option. You have 30 or 40 years till you reach your retirement age and then potentially decades longer to invest. So you could potentially be handicapping your potential returns over the long term when previous studies have recognised the fact that equity markets rise more over other classes over the long term. So I guess the same question applies to people who might be older too. You need to ask yourself, are you taking enough risk for your current circumstances? Any major guidelines for how much risk is sensible? Well, an old market rule of thumb suggested 110 minus your age was a potential guideline for what percentage of your assets should be invested in equities. And bear in mind, this was long before the new pension rules were developed. So if we take that as a guideline, it suggests that a 20-year-old should have approximately 90% invested in equities in their pension. 
However, you do need to bear in mind what your investment horizon is. If that same 20 year old is investing in a lifetime ISA and looking to buy a house in the next five, 10 years, you might want to be more cautious about this money. But in a pension, you should certainly look at being more aggressive. For a 60 year old, this same rule would still be talking about 50% in equities. But I would argue that if you're in good health and you intend to go into drawdown and don't actually need the money anytime soon, then you might even want to take slightly more risk. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it's a general guideline and one that you might want to consider when you're looking at your overall portfolio. And don't forget that you can take different levels of risk in your ISA or your pension, or you could have a core satellite approach where some of your money is highly speculative and you invest in perhaps small caps or aimed holdings and you're happy to take the risk, but the majority of your holdings are more mainstream. So this is another way you can look at your overall risk profile. Final roundup for investors, Rebecca. Risk is highly subjective and it can be difficult to contemplate the idea that your investments may fall in value, but you do need to take some risk to improve your financial future. Another thing to bear in mind is that men often take more risk than women. So if you as a female are in danger of fulfilling this stereotype, then look at your investments and see if you could be a little bit braver with some of your holdings where you don't need to access them anytime soon. There can be a tendency to take too little risk, but you typically have time on your side. And don't forget that you might be investing all the way through your retirement too. But if you do have a shorter time horizon, then you may want to be more careful. If you are investing for the long term, however, consider you 100 minus your age as a guideline for how much you want to have invested in equities. And finally, we all want to be able to sleep at night. But let time, compound interest and the long term benefits of the stock market work for you and you may have a far more restful retirement. Thank you very much Richard and Rebecca and thank you for listening. Do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast.